everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is our 117th episode of Make Ours Marvel, where Mike and I are journeying through all of the Marvel superhero adventures from the beginning, Fantastic Four number one, until we die, retire, <laughs> or find somebody to take over for us. Yes. Any one of those three works. Right. So we're coming at you tonight with four more comics. Those are going to be Sergeant Fury 29, Strange Tales 144, The Fantastic Four 50, big 5-0 on that one, and Ooh. Tales of Suspense 77. Fun. Fun times. Some of it's fun, but I'm not going to spoil which just yet. And where are we in our timeline? Uh, our publication? Like These are all February 10th. 1966. Okay. So, February is the month. No, I'm going to finish this time. We have two more for next uh, time. All righty. We still got to do Spidey and somebody, the Avengers. The Avengers. Yeah, we got to find out what's going on with that whole, like, uh, uh, you know, New York being underwater thing. Yeah. Or what happened to the Wasp? All that fun stuff. Right. Anatuma. Anatuma. It's not a Tuma. Yes. So, we are starting out back in the halcyon days of World War II. I'm not sure exactly what Halcyon means, but I feel like it has nostalgia in it, and I'm not nostalgic for war, so never mind. Um, on the cover, we have Nick Fury battling it out with Baron Strucker, and the logo at the bottom says Armageddon. A city is burning behind them. It is titled Armageddon on the inside as well, and uh, let's see. Two men facing each other defiantly in a Nazi command post in Cherbourg, occupied France. Two men, each holding in his hand the power to annihilate scores of human beings. Get set now for a shell-studded shocker. Explosive editing by Stan Lee. Seething script by Roy Thomas. Pulsating pencils by Dick Ayers. Invigorating inking by John Tartaglioni. And a Whoa. lackadaisical lettering by Sam Rosen. That was a big surname there. Yeah. Big old Italian name, too. And mm-hmm. that GL is like a... Yeah, Tartaglioni. L-Y-I, Leone. Tartaglioni. Anyways. um, Okay, so the reason they have uh, ways of killing lots of people is that um, (laughs) Baron Strucker was sent to this town to either pacify it or destroy it. So he has this big, like, you know, Y-shaped switch that you throw down and it hits the electric circuit and makes the bomb explode. And he's threatening to do that. But also, Nick Fury has an explosive in his device that if he touches it, the entire building is going to go down. So either Baron Strucker is going to blow up the town or Nick Fury is going to blow up the building. One of those things is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or neither. We'll see what happens. So they basically trash talk each other. And um, then Fury's like, okay, fine. You know what? You know what? You want to blow up the town? Fine. Give everyone an hour to leave. And this, of course goes very well with Strucker's goals because Strucker does not like that he has been ordered to destroy an entire town. So he's like, yeah, we'll give him an hour to leave. Sure. So finally everyone leaves and then Strucker's like, all right, they're gone. Now you're at my mercy. And uh, Fury's like, "Um, well, we would be, except that while you were evacuating, my guys were beating up your guys. Um, So we see some of that beating up. And we see Fury grab a gun. No, let's see. Reb busts into the room, tosses Fury a gun. They shoot at some guys. Um, 
there's a whole bunch of, oh, I see what happens. Okay, some of the officers, the Nazi officers, they don't want to get blowed up. So they don't want Nick Fury to blow them up or for um, Strucker to blow them up. Because Strucker is almost like at the point where he's ready to commit suicide. He's ready to like blow up the town with himself and Fury and if he can just take out those verdumped commandos. So the Nazi officers are like, um, we're going to skadoosh as well. So they all run away. Um, Fury and Strucker start fist fighting while the Howlers are trying to get out. They're bailing on Fury because Fury orders them to. They're not very happy about it. They're getting to the outside of town, hoping that Fury will catch up to them. Um, at one point, Fury's and Strucker's fist fight ends up with Strucker hanging out, falling out of a window, and Fury grabs his hand and pulls him back inside. But Strucker has thrown the switch. So the town is in the process of erupting all around Fury and Strucker while they're fighting. So the buildings are collapsing, there's fire, there's destruction, there's all sorts of stuff. And at one point, the building collapses on Fury and Strucker. Fury climbs out, looks around, figures Strucker is gone for, and he, uh, he leaves. But he does not see that Strucker gets out. And Strucker silently swears that even if it takes him until years after the war, he will have revenge on Nick Fury. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, and then Fury grabs a motorcycle, catches up to the Howlers. Um, and whenever Hitler finds out about this, that, that Sherbo was like evacuated, all the people were saved, he throws his Mein Kampf book at Goebbels. And he basically excommunicates Strucker. Strucker's no longer cool. He's no longer a Nazi. He's an enemy of the Reich. And if Hitler ever sees him again, he's going to kill him. So Strucker is now persona non grata, except in German. Um, the Howlers leave France. They say goodbye to the French uh, people who were supporting them. They call the, um, the, the, the Navy captain, the skipper they keep on seeing. He brings a raft over to him, catches them, and takes them back home. And it's all good. It's all well. It ends well at the end. Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas is scripting this issue. Mm-hmm. So does that mean he's also really plotting this issue? Um, I don't think. I think. Or does honestly, Dick Ayers plot this issue? <laughs> I think for most of the books, it's a it's a partnership when it comes to the plotting. Like it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether Ayers had that conversation with Thomas or Ayers had that conversation with Lee, I don't know. Um, but well, what, you know, what, traditionally, you know, the Marvel way is the penciler does all the plot or does all the drawings, and then Stan would come in and write the dialogue. Right, that's and now it's like Stan's not even doing that. Yeah, but now Stan's not even <laughs> writing dialogue because he's got Roy Thomas doing it. So, or at least, yeah, that's what scripting is. So, yeah, so Roy makes you wonder Thomas, how involved Stan is. He's going to be on this book for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically has taken over for Stanley on this book. What did you think about the reading experience of this book? I have to say, every so often, so I can't say it's just because of Roy Thomas, because it's happened before, but every so often I'll be reading one of these Sergeant Fury issues, and it's like they're never ending. They just go on and on, and I start like, flipping ahead to see how many more pages I have to go. Kind of <laughs> like when you're watching a boring movie and you hit pause to see how many minutes are left. Right. Th- this was that issue for me. Like it just like the premise was a cool setup. Cause last issue was to be continued. They're going to have this standoff. And at first it was kind of interesting with Nick lying about not really even having anything going on. He's just bluffing them basically. 
and all that was kind of cool. But then once the place started exploding and everybody started fighting and stuff, it was just like, man, when is this going to be done? I th- there's there, I don't know if this is actually a thing that was said by Lee, but it's a joke that goes around that like Lee told Thomas or Thomas, you know, followed Lee's example or something, but basically operated in the rule of if somebody's in the panel, they need to say something. Mm-hmm. And so Thomas's scripts can be extremely wordy. Well, and you know, the howlers are always guilty of their incessant bantering, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they just go on and on and on, but I did seem to notice it more in this issue. Like for instance, I mean, we can go back, but just skipping to page 11 where they have to run through this roadblock, every single person had to weigh in on their opinion on that. You right. Know? You can't just run through the roadblock. We have to have every single character in the truck talk about how they're going to run through the roadblock. And that was just like, oh my God, just run through it. So yeah, I was kind of noticing that. A little wordy, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, that said, since we are jumping around, there were a couple things that were like anti-war, which I thought was kind of cool, because we haven't really got a lot of that. Yeah, talk about that. Usually, like, the Howlers are all just like, big, tough, we're going to start bar fights, guys. But Nick had some moments of reflection. I believe both, he kind of felt like, I don't know if he was full-on sad for Baron Zemo meeting his maker, but he didn't seem like super stoked about it. And then later he's riding on a motorcycle thinking to himself about how war sucks and he hopes this might be the last one, but it probably won't be because we just keep getting wars after wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I don't think we've heard Nick talk about war as this like is, a bad thing before. He says the thing about how like we already had the war to end all wars and now we're in another war. Yeah, so maybe this will be the last one, but maybe. And then he's just like, ah, get over it. And then there's like this little bits here where um, Gabe, this was my favorite panel. Where is it? I can't find it. Gabe knocks the head of two dudes yes. together. Yes, page uh, like, five. He's like, it's funny how Aryan heads and non-Aryan heads sound the same when you smack them together. Maybe there's probably a moral there somewhere, but I can't figure it out. <laughs> that was a great it's like, line. yeah, that's anti-racist as he's knocking two dudes out. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the art in this. Uh, mm-hmm. That splash page basically highlights why I dig Ayers on this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that whenever he first came on, it was a little bit of a, of a getting used to, but I really like him for a Sergeant Fury artist. Yeah, I think he's pretty good at communicating what's going on, and he's got his own brand of humor. And He's not the same as Kirby, but that's okay. He's just different, and it works. Either I didn't have a lot to say or my uh, notes didn't get saved because I only have like three things written down for this book. Um, In the French resistance group that helps them, there's that woman with them. Mm -hmm. And during last issue and also in this issue, whenever I see her, my brain wants to link her to the woman we're going to talk about in the cap story in a a little bit. Oh, okay. Uh Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Peggy Carter. This This one is French. And Peggy. So is Peggy Carter. I think she is. Isn't uh, she? Internet told me she was Virginian. Okay. I always thought she was French because she was part of the French Revolution with them. The French, not revolution. (laughs) Not the French Revolution, but, you know, resistance. Part of the resistance, yeah. yeah. Evidently, she is um, an American who uh, got caught up in the war effort, went to England just like they did, and started working for the French resistance. Well... And shame on me for not knowing this answer, but I wonder if that was like something they made up later. Because it just yeah. seems like if they straight up want her to be French in this, what we're going to um, talk about. But but I don't know. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. 
Well, then you have the question, okay, so she's French. How did Peggy get to the States? Or how did Sharon get to the States? Yeah, unless she, like, moved there or something. But I don't know. Yeah, you're right. So it's entirely possible in this early day and age that there was intended to be a connection between the two and that we're supposed to be the same person. Obviously, you can have more than one woman in a story. (laughs) So we're talking about page 19, that blonde gal? Yeah, yeah. She she didn't have a whole lot to do in this issue. She was more prominent in the last issue, but... Mm-hmm. You know, that group of French resistance fighters that she's with were in last issue and she was involved there. Um, Boy, they stereotype Hitler in this, man. Yeah, he is very <laughs> I mean, he's throwing his mind Kampf at people's heads. Yeah, That's when Goebbels walks in, he's like, how why are you interrupting my, my reading of my masterpiece, Mein Kampf? <laughs> it's like, wow. I just named this book My Head. <laughs> So this is actually the last World War II appearance of Strucker we're going to get for a long while. Okay. We're going to see him in a modern day story before we see him in the past again. And his next World War II story is far enough away that we might not get there. I wonder if they pick up on this business because theoretically he can't go home again now. Unless he wants to die. Right. I'm very curious about how they do that. Um I feel like his little swear of revenge is very much intentional and pointing towards, you know, the next mm-hmm. story that he's in. But, yeah. Um, but yeah. But yeah. I don't know. It was just a really long read for me. I, eh. Not that it was bad. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is the new dialogue. I don't know what it was. I just I mean, noticed he, he, a lot more. He gets more. better as he goes along, but I just, when I'm reading early Thomas stuff, and, you know, everyone's rough whenever they start something. But when you're early Thomas stuff, so his his Sergeant Fury, his X-Men, and he's going to be our Avengers writer a little farther down the road. It's just everything is always so word-heavy. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. And it gets to be a bit tedious when you – I mean, <laughs> I'm not blasting reading, but you kind of want there to be a balance between how many words it takes to get through the story. <laughs> well – and generally speaking, 60s comics are wordier than, say, today's comics. Mm-hmm. Like like when we read that uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that took me like five minutes to read all six of those, or however many there were of those issues, uh, all eight of them, whereas this took you know, probably twice as long to read this. Mm-hmm. So, um, But yeah, at some point you want to balance. It is a graphic medium. So at some point you can allow the penciler to tell some of the story. Right. You don't have to explain every single moment. But, uh, yeah, they're still working out that, how that works. Interesting that Roy Thomas is our for first, for first credit for us, right, is Roy Thomas this book, right, this issue? Uh, no, because we had 115. He did that uh, Doctor Strange story. Oh, bummer. I was going to say interesting that he starts out in a World War II story because he's kind of known for his World he War II kind of known for character. that, too. I wonder if that played stuff. into him picking this, this series up. Maybe. I wonder if he was in World War II. I don't really know anything about Roy Thomas. Uh, no, he was a kid reading comics in World War II. Okay. So he just likes that era as far as maybe Golden Age stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm done. Are you done? I am done. I'm ready to get Strange. All right. Strange Tales, number 144. It's really weird to have Sergeant Fury and then Nick Fury back-to-back like this sometimes. But let's do it anyway. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. For those of you who don't remember like me, the Day of the Druid. Which is basically a new story arc, kind of, even though they did a little bit like the last panel of the last story. But at a strange and secret sanctum, a forbidden ceremony takes place amidst the ancient and evil trappings of the mysterious druids. So not just druid. For the first time in modern history, you are actually witnessing an eerie witch's Sabbath. 
Once again, Mighty Marvel reaches new heights of brilliance, propelled by the titanic team of Stan Lee writer, Jack Kirby designer, H. Purcell, penciler, M. DeMeo, inker, and Sam Rosen, letterer. Whether you like it or loathe it, you'll have to admit one thing. This thriller is different. Okay, I will admit that. So, if we recall last issue, there was like a panel of a shield plane taking off and this giant, not a giant, but kind of a bigger than normal egg. Yeah, I guess a giant egg smashes into it and then flies away. And we're all like, okay, what was that about? Well, what I didn't know was that Nick Fury was in that plane. So yeah, Nick Fury's in that plane and the plane crashes and shield and like the fire department are all there and army and stuff. And they're trying to put the fire out and Dum Dum's there too. And he's like, we got to get Nick out of there. He's going to burn alive. And they're like, are you crazy? That special shield plane is powered by 1.21 gigawatts. You can't just go in there. You'll <laughs> die. And Nick has to, if Nick's alive, he'll turn it off. But otherwise we got to clear this area because this thing's going to explode and we're all going to get sent back to 1985, 1955. So, um, but Nick is awake. And he struggles his way through, like, you know, Star Trek Four, Captain Kirk, freeing the whales, like, getting through the barrel of the plane and, like, pulls on the lever and finally gets in there and turns off the thing. And then he – and, like, everybody has cleared out except Dum Dum, who's loyal, and he's like, no, I'm staying here, and I'll just blow up if I have to blow up. And he's, like, wincing and covering his face. And then Nick's like, oh, you old walrus. And then they hug, and they're awesome because they're best friends. Um, so then they drive home. I guess someone brought Nick's cool shield car so he could drive home with Dum Dum. And on the way, another giant egg comes out of nowhere and starts following them and starts shooting lasers at them. So Nick shoots back because he's got in his trunk a borer bomb and it like smacks into the egg and cracks it. And inside the egg has all this machinery and stuff. Um, and we cut to who's actually controlling the egg. And it's this dude named the Druid. Um, and he's surrounded by a gun. But he like... I don't know. He's like this dude with a weird uh, like gown and he's got horns on a hat and he's surrounded by dudes in green cloaks who are also called druids, I guess. But under they live underneath the forest, but underneath the forest is this really super high-tech Kirby lair. So they're not exactly magicians or anything. They're like scientists who like to play druid, I guess. But anyway, he's like, ah, they're trying to kill our egg. Let's shoot missiles. So they shoot missiles, but... Uh, oh, what do they do? They make, like, the road. I don't know. They somehow make the road, like... It's they, a, put, it's, they call them tank traps. Yeah, so it's basically like these uh, speed bumps, I guess, that come up out of nowhere. And Nick's like, oh, gosh. And But luckily, Nick has um, this state-of-the-art uh, airbag system in his thing. Oh, the egg shoots missiles. The missiles blow up into chunks of cement, which then land and turn into blockades. Okay, so there you go. So they weren't shooting. But yeah, missiles. they get airbags. They got airbags, and the car flips over, and as it flies into the air, it also can fly. So the the wheels come out, and it does this cool hovercraft thing. And then they're like, "Let's just get out of the car and shoot them back in like back in the old days, like the Howlers, like that last issue we read." So they lay down, and they get their bazookas out, and they shoot the egg, and the egg goes boom. So then we cut to that barber shop, or at least a barber shop. Maybe it's not the same one. I don't know how many barber shops they have. And there's this guy there talking to the barber. And he's like, no, I swear, I'm, you know, part of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. I'm the new guy. I'm Jasper Sitwell or whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, right. I don't know who you are. Why should I let you in? He's like, well, I have this cool gadget that lets me control you physically. So he, like, makes the barber jump up and 
uh, do weird laughs and stuff, and then he shocks him in the butt, and the guy's like, I'm, st- I'm just going to beat you up now. I'm not going to let you into the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. He's like, I promise you, you can't beat me in a, fair, in a fight either. And just then, Nick, and with a bandage on his head, and Dum Dum come in, and they're like, what's going on? He's like, I'm here to report for duty. He's like, oh, okay, well, I'll meet you in a second. And then he and Dum Dum like get in the chair and they head down into the you know secret location. And all the while, this new Jasper guy just talks about how great it is to work for Shield and how he's going to like you know do his very best and protect the country and blah blah blah. And both you know Nick and Dum Dum are kind of like, God, this guy's you know wet behind the ears and uh, go down to the secret lair and leave him behind. And that's the end of the story for some random reason. That's how they ended it. So it actually says, okay, that's that. We've set the stage, introduced our players, and paved the way for the next issue's fantastic thriller. So there you go. There we go. New character. Jasper Sitwell. He, yeah. is, he is charming. Um, I really like him. He is in the MCU. Less charming in the MCU. Less charming, more, uh, more evil. More Hail Hydra, yeah. <laughs> that was disappointing, though. So disappointing. Like, they were using Jasper Sitwell in the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, which is one oh. of the few places where they take a uh, movie character mm-hmm. and put them in the TV shows. They just didn't do that very often. Um, and then they had this whole thing with him that led up into the the Hydra reveal. And I was like, oh, man. Well, I got to say, because my wife and I, back when this pandemic first struck, we decided something to do while we're stuck at home is just to watch all the MCU movies in order. Because mm-hmm. I've never done that before. And he was in way more than I remembered. And he wasn't a bad guy, obviously, out of the gate until Winter Soldier, I guess. Right. When it's revealed that, you know, he's one of the guys. But he was in previous movies as just like a S.H.I.E.L.D. person. Mm-hmm. With no inkling that he was a bad guy. I don't know if that was the plan the whole time or if they just were using him because he's a character in this. I'm sure it wasn't the plan the whole time. But. Yeah. Yeah. But I we like have- this. This guy's cool. He is he is very much uh, the overachiever, teacher pleasing student kind of character, and I love him. He's very he's very cute. Well, um, what what's going to be nice is he's going to play well against the lack of charm that Nick and like Dum Dum have. Right. Like this dude is like polite and uses his manners, and he's yeah. going to be very annoying to Nick. Yes. So we have two artists. Um, the second one's mm. not new. I just don't know if we've ever really talked about him, but Mickey DeMeo is Mike Esposito. Okay. Um, he's an inker since the 50s. We've had him on, on various books ever since Avengers 15. Uh, and he's just one of those you know steadfast, stalwart inkers of Marvel and DC, both companies. He doesn't ever really stick to one. He just kind of works for both forever. Um, and then we have then, Purcell. Yeah, I don't know if it's Purcell or Purcell, but Howard... Uh, he's been around in comics since 1940. Um, he's done Sargon the Sorcerer. He's the artist on Red, White, and Blue. He did lots of gay ghost strips. Uh, he did some Green Lanterns. He, I don't know if he created the character or just drew him forever, but he did almost the entire run of Mr. District Attorney for DC in the 50s. Mm. Um and now he's over at Marvel for these two stories, last issue and this issue. And then he's going to do a Black Knight story down the road and Three Silver Surfers. And uh, he's pretty much done with comics after that. I think 
Kirby being credited as designer is kind of interesting. Yes, I don't know if that's just a fancy way of saying layouts. Yeah, usually they just say layouts or something. And I feel like he's carried through in this more so than usual when they say he's laid out something. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely has a Kirby feel to it still, even though he's obviously not finishing it. Right. Uh, but we're going to have new, oh, we're going to have Don Heck next issue doing this ah, series. Excellent. Wonder, wonder how long that stays around. Anyways. Um, Druid is a new character. Druid is new. I think he shops at the same hat stores as Ula. <laughs> and Loki. Uh, Hella. Hella, yeah. And he had Loki. Yeah. Can, I, don't, I don't know what my opinion of him is because we didn't really get much yet, but Well, can you imagine his henchman having to set all that stuff up at the beginning and then he has like his five-minute rant and then take it all apart again? Because he says like all of this is just for show. We're not actually yeah. doing magic. We're doing science. And there was like, yeah. really? Huh. Yeah, that's, I mean, all we know about him so far is that he's a science-based person who really likes to pretend he's not. Right. And I don't know what that's about, so we'll be, we'll be interesting. Like, is it just a motif? Like, we need a theme, guys. How about druidism? I don't know. I, I really like the image of the guy carrying the, the Nick Fury head on page two, that third panel, because they had the Nick Fury face, like, I don't know, projected onto the smoke. Uh-huh. But he's actually carrying a fake Nick Fury head, and I just love that. I mean, the egg thing was okay. It was kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, I wasn't prepared for it to be called the Egg of Satan, but you know. <laughs> well, I think what I like more about the Egg of Satan is that we got to see the car again, because that was fun. Oh, the, the shield car? Yeah. Yes. Like we, okay. he, hasn't, he hasn't been James Bond in a while, so it was cool to see that again. And they invented airbags. Yeah, they invented airbags, and he's got his, like, Backdoor uh, bomb thingy, and it's cool. Like, I didn't research, but I don't think the airbags were even a thing back in the 1960s, much less standard on cars. And his car already flew the first appearance, right? I think it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this might be did. a different car, but yeah, it flies. Yeah, I think the last one was red, but they're probably all just the same kind of idea. Um, he's doing the whole countdown thing at the beginning. Where he like know, uh, knows exactly when the bomb's going to explode, and I just have Fury doesn't really strike me as a scientific guy, so I don't know where he knows exactly how it's going to explode, unless he like has a watch or saw a countdown on the wall or something. Yeah, they didn't really say, but that was kind of I love this bit with you know Dum Dum not leaving and then like covering his face and about to die, and that was all fun. That was very <laughs> Kirby. I'm dead, and I landed in the wrong place because Fury's <laughs> voice would never be up above. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah uh, that was cool that was jasper cool. sitwell makes me happy i will wonder about a secret organization that doesn't give jasper sitwell like a unique password or something to get into the base but maybe this barber guy is just a jerkhead he seems like he might be yeah he says he's class of 66 and we are in 1966 so, so he fresh. hasn't actually graduated yet oh what month are we in february yeah, like we just started. Ways to go. He's an intern, right? He's interning. This is his student teaching kind of thing. I ext- I am extremely high physical combat rate. I have an extremely high physical combat rating. I like that line. And uh, there's a man from Uncle reference. Oh, um, yeah, there was, huh? But of course, this whole strip is kind of a man from Uncle reference because mm-hmm. Shield is just a riff off of Uncle. Yes. That's true. We always say James Bond, but there was other spy stuff going on. Yeah, well, inspired by James Bond, right? <laughs> of course, right. It all starts with James Bond. But So this is, I mean, J- well, James Bond is like the movies and Man from Uncle is like the TV show. 
Yeah. Um, I wonder if I should try Man from Uncle again, but I think I'm just going to try the Henry Cavill film because I kind of got bored with the TV I, show. I have tried that film. I didn't love it, but you never know. Um, I never watched the TV show. Jasper Sidwell, ever shall I be true to those inspiring, imperishable words, don't yield back shield. That's right. Which we've heard that in the narration before. We've never heard of a character say it before. And Sidwell is going to love that slogan so much. <laughs> yep. We need a t-shirt. We should. Don't Harvel make ours. M- oh, sorry. Oh, I mean, they don't have the words don't yield back shield copyrighted or trademarked, do they? That's not possible. Maybe they that's do. probably not possible. You're right. We should get that. Just don't put a logo or anything on. Um, that's all I got. Unless you want to. No, nope, I'm ready for some Doctor Strange. Okay. Doctor Strange, where man hath never trod. This is not the start of a new story arc, although it kind of is, I guess, but not really. In case this scene looks a bit familiar to you, be it known that through the generosity of magnanimous Marvel, you are reliving that dramatic moment when an enraged Dormammu, thwarted in his attempt to destroy Doctor Strange, turns his rampaging wrath on the mysterious silver-haired girl who has befriended the master of the mystic arts and who has never been named in the last 200 issues. As related in Strange Tales number We're only on 144, Mike. Come on. <laughs> or was it 142? And I didn't look up whether it was 141 or 142. Forgetful Stan. Edited with precipicity by Stan Lee. Written with... Oh, gosh. I don't want to read any of these. Written with precocity by... Roy Thomas, plotted and illustrated with profundity by Steve Ditko, lettered with the windows closed by Artie Simek. Okay, let's see if I can nail this one. I can't already. So yeah, Doctor Strange is going to go rescue the unnamed girl because she's suffering for helping him, basically. Mm -hmm. And we're at Dormammu's pad, and he's talking to some face that, like, calls him master because everybody calls him master and the face is like hey should i set that trap and he's like uh duh yes so then we cut to dr strange and he's talking to what's his name the ancient one and some other dude a magician and they have sensed an energy in a certain area of dimensional space that could only be from dormammu so you should go there because that's probably where he's torturing this lady you're trying to rescue. So he's like, by the hairy Hogarths of Hagarth, I will go. So he goes. Meanwhile, Dormammu is talking to the dude who actually lives there, and his name is Taza. And he's like, hey, some guy named Doctor Strange is going to try and challenge your authority and take over your place. So be ready. I'm just warning you because I'm your best friend. So Doctor Strange shows up, and sure enough, Taza's like... <gasps> What he told me is true, so I'm going to attack this guy. So he turns into a bird and attacks him, and Doctor Strange is like, what, a bird? Okay. So he fends the bird off. Then the dude turns into like this Majin Buu anime ghost thing with eight arms, tentacles, and it like envelops Doctor Strange, but by the hairy whores of Holgarth or whatever, (laughs) he gets out. I've got one. By the hairy Humphrey Bogarts. By the hairy Humphrey Bogarts. That's going to be our new thing, because I should stop saying whore. So... He then follows the guy. The guy turns into a bird and runs away. He follows him to his enclave, his throne, his castle, whatever. Once again, by the way, these dimensions have no gravity or perspective. I'm starting to think Ditko just does not like rulers or something. (laughs) But anyway, so I'm not really sure what it is, but it looks like some weird floating ball of castle. Inside the castle, Taza 
reveals that he's had many challengers in the past and he has frozen them all and they are all his decorative statues now. Doctor Strange uses that to his advantage. He uses his protoplasm ecto form to possess one or two of them and make it seem like they're coming back to life to challenge Taza again. He trips out and goes, oh no, I'll put you right back in that statue. But then quickly realizes, oh, you were just tricking me, weren't you? So then they get into a Harry Humphrey Bogart fight. Uh, energy, energy, energy. At some point, Doctor Strange like lambastes him verbally so much that Taza gets aggressive with his attacks, which makes him less defensive, which Doctor Strange uses to his advantage and wraps him in a glowy handcuff thing. He then tells Taza, I was never here to attack you. You were lied to. And by the way, since I've defeated you, I'm going to free all these souls that you have in prison. So they all are like, hey, thanks, Doctor Strange. And then he goes back home, having not accomplished his mission of saving the unnamed girl. Not yet. Not yet. Because we still have two more chapters. Yep. At the same time, we only have two more chapters. Yes. This wasn't that bad. I kind of, it was all right. Yeah, I don't no, know. It, 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 its worst aspect is that it's part of this whole overarching thing. Yeah. I'm looking forward to him rescuing her. I'm looking forward to like maybe her having a name at some point. That'd be cool. Um, but that's probably not going to happen. No, she, she, yeah, she, she will get a name. <laughs> I know she gets one eventually because I know her name, but like, uh, yeah, will she get one from Steve Ditko or not? I don't know. So Dormammu's like, observe and tremble, insolent mortal. See the fate of the female who rescued you. See how she's forced to stand on her head doing bicycle exercises. <laughs> it keeps her in shape. Right. Um, in the con- Okay. I, I, I feel like we keep doing this, but in the contest of who is less of a person at this point, <laughs> I feel like this gal has to be a contender. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. She has... Zero. Well, at one point she had a dad. That completely went away. At one point she had a dad. At one point she helps Doctor Strange. That was 17 years ago. Uh-huh. And she has occasionally expressed love for him, but like they've rarely even spoken. So I don't really even count that except for maybe like a basic attraction to his beard. I think mostly she helped him because he risked his life to save their dimension. Right. And then so she, in turn, risked her life to save him, knowing full well that she'd get caught and probably tortured and stuff. So in that sense, we know she's brave. Yes. Um, we know that she's really brave. that's really all we know. We don't know much. Uh, last issue, we saw the Ancient One say that he was going to go looking for this woman on his own while Doctor Strange was busy. They must mm-hmm. have, like, talked since then because now Doctor Strange is like, have you seen her? Have you found her? Yeah. And it looks like he's a ghost, so I guess he's floating around in other dimensions or something. Projecting or his dead? face. Or is he dead? He's not dead. Um, but his body's not there. I think he's just chilling out in the uh, Ancient One's house. He's just sending his astral form to go everywhere and talk to everyone. Oh, so this dude, he says, Hail thee, Master, and thee, O Sovereign of the Far-Flung World. So they're, in, they're not on Earth right now. So that means the Ancient One's probably at home, and his form is here, and... Doctor Strange came here because this dude is helping the Ancient One look for Dormammu. Boy, that's He's complicated. Like some king of this faraway land. Uh huh. But unfortunately, all these faraway lands are looking the same. I used to love that. I used to be like, oh yeah, Ditko, you really designed cool faraway lands. But now they're kind of like the same all the all time. the same. Yeah. 
So sorry, Ditko. I'm starting to think, like, I'm not joking. I really think you just don't want to do, like, perspective on buildings and stuff. So you just do squiggly lines and things. Now, Taza was all right. I, I, I didn't mind the story, but I also feel like he's we're going to forget about him next Tuesday. Oh, like, yeah. And I was, that, that got me thinking, which Doctor Strange antagonists have we seen that you already knew about? Mordo, Dormammu, right. and Nightmare. Those are the exact same three I wrote down. Mm-hmm. Setting those aside, has there been a single memorable threat? They're all like this guy. All like one-off I, magician like, dudes? Like I can kind of vaguely remember the plot of that one time. The guy had a disciple and the disciple escaped and got Doctor Strange's help. And then Doctor Strange took his magic away. But I don't know what the guy's name was. There's that one guy who had like the face. He was a prisoner and he, he like swapped bodies with Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's just like... You can remember individual stories, but like none of those people have stuck around. The only person that I can remember the name of and like would recognize if we saw them again is Zondu with the Wand of Watum. Because I've read that annual so many times. I feel like he's kind of the exception that proves the rule. He's memorable for being so basically useless. Is that the guy who fought Spider-Man? Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I don't have no idea what he looks like. I, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup right now. I remember the plot, kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because he, he recruited a Sandman-like guy. and A couple of strange men and one looked like the Sandman, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what he looked like. There were the two hands of the wand. He had one half and Doctor Strange had the other half. He has um he has like a white goatee and a monocle. And uh, so, he usually wears a skullcap of some kind. Of all the stories we read now, is Doctor Strange the least developed in terms of world building his reality? Like giving him supporting cast and something to do besides hop dimensions. Yes. He is, right? He's the worst. Unless you want to say Sergeant Fury because oh. they don't have anything to do besides fight their wars. He did at least lose a fiance to war, which was kind of mm-hmm. interesting. But yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. So it's basically Sergeant Fury and Doctor Strange are basically just fight, fight, fight. And I wonder if Ditko's like doing that on purpose because that's what he wants from this, which is fine. He just wants to do a magic story. Yeah, surreal, surreal adventures. I mean, he did those for the yeah, for a decade in the 50s, right? He doesn't want to do the Spider-Man romance thing, even though he was in on that, so he knows how to do that. Well, he's doing both, and he does both for a really long time, so maybe he just uh-huh. enjoys getting a couple different things. Yeah, I'm thinking he must, because otherwise it's kind of a no-brainer to do it, right? Right. But he's not... He's sort of anti-successful. Like, he doesn't like... <laughs> he probably doesn't... He likes to lean into, into the wind, I guess. I don't know. So Dormammu tells Assy to go set that trap, and I thought the plan was to lure Strange into another dimension so that Dormammu could get him mm-hmm. on pain of Asti's life if he should fail. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Strange goes to this other dimension, and then Dormammu's like, ah, "I just, I just gonna mess with him for a while." Yeah, I'm not really sure what Asti did. I don't either, because it says that guy who runs this place, whose name we don't know, also says like. We detected Dormammu energy here, so go there. So did Asti do that, or did Dormammu do that? It makes sense that it was Asti since they set that up, but you're right, there's no direct connection. Yeah, so Um, whatever. But Asti's kind of an interesting visual, anyway. He is a very cool visual. I would like to see Dormammu use him again. He's. Mm -hmm. I um, suspect he will. He's like a psycho pirate face. Uh Uh-huh. And Taza does actually come back in one story in 1990. So I guess he oh, learns his lesson gosh. basically here. Yeah. Well, I'm not I'm not even sure like 
I mean, I guess he's a bad guy because he has trophies of people, but like he, he was also he was he's also under the impression that he was being attacked. So he wasn't just going out of his way to be jerky to Doctor Strange. He thought Doctor Strange was an invader. Yeah, because yeah, Dormammu's yeah. a liar. But yeah, he's probably still a bad guy. Anyway, I think I we really could get into that. some some juicy Fantastic Four stuff if you want. <sighs> Number fifty. Number fifty. So this is on the cover. It's described as the startling saga of the Silver Surfer. And at last, the Human Torch and College don't miss Johnny's first day. So if you were looking for the end of the Galactus trilogy, you might not realize that's what you have. I got to say, because I had never read these before, that that little blurb on the cover of this was really weird. Yeah. It was like, how are we fitting that in? The world is going to be destroyed and Johnny just stops to go to college? What? <laughs> but we found out. It's what you do during a pandemic. You just go to school anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so the awesome Galactus has chosen Earth to provide him with the energy he needs to sustain himself. But in stripping a planet of its energy, Galactus also drains away all life from the helpless world. For ages, the mighty alien has thus pondered the planets, but now his once loyal herald, the glistening Silver Surfer, has turned against him. And one of the most mind-staggering battles of all time is about to begin with Marvelites everywhere privileged to bear witness to the wonder of it all. Greater than the greatest. Script, Stan Lee. Art, Jack Kirby. Inks, Joe Sinnott. Lettering, S. Rosen. Peerless pageantry at the peak of proud perfection. Woohoo. Yeah. I don't even need to do the comic now. We've got that. I know, That's right? Pretty great. Can't, can't top that. Okay, so Silver Surfer basically goes up to Galactus and says, no. And Galactus says, no? And Silver Surfer says, no. And Galactus says, you can't tell me no. And they fight. Um, Galactus, like, gets sealed in a thing of solid energy. And Thing, like, touches it and, like, gets knocked backward by the explosion. Uh, but he finds his way out because he's Galactus. Silver Surfer throws some more energy bolts at him. Galactus shoots energy out of his fingers. Fireballs flying across the sky. Johnny's not here because he's been sent to the Watcher's house on the other side of Infinity to get a weapon. And he has done so. So we see him flying back. And the Watcher is actually keeping him alive in space. He actually says that. Uh, we were wondering about that last time. And he brings Johnny back, and Johnny arrives. I'm back. I'm back. We're all just ants. The universe is so big. Oh, here, Reed. Here's the ultimate nullifier. He's like, thanks, Johnny. <laughs> so um, Watcher's like, okay. So there are two settings, stun and kill. You want to make sure the safety's off, and then you just pull this trigger. Don't, don't pull, though. Squeeze the trigger. They always say that in gun using lessons. I don't know. They so, do. anyways, Ray's like, okay, I, I know, I know how to squeeze a trigger. Um, Silver Surfer and Galactus are still fighting, and so Reed stretches up his arm, sticks the gun in Galactus's face, and says, "I've got this thing." And Galactus says, "That thing, that thing can blow up a galaxy, and you have it. You're just a child." And Reed's like, "I'm not. I'm like 45." Um, so Watcher's like, yeah, I gave it to him because, you know, you're going to blow up the planet. And, uh, I decided to break my vow and give him the ultimate nullifier. So that's what you're going to do. Galactus is like, but I'm so hungry. 
and they're like, eat other planets or get some pizza. You don't have to eat planets that have people on them. And Galactus is like, fine. I've been thwarted. I'll go find some planet with no people on it. Or maybe a planet made of pizza. But in the meantime, Silver Surfer, you done ticked me off, boy. So he zaps Silver Surfer with his eye beams to take all of his cosmic power away uh, and prevent him from leaving Earth again. Uh, then he like does a big old snap, crackle, pop and disappears from the Earth. And the Fantastic Four are like, oh my gosh. And so the thing, the Silver Surfer talking and things all mad at Silver Surfer for being a bad guy. And Silver Surfer's like, I'm just a normal person. Yeah, I'm speaking English like a normal person. And then um, what's her face? Um, Alicia? Alicia. Alicia's like, I, I, Ben, Ben, where are you? No, 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 no. Hold on. She's not even looking for Ben. She's looking to see if everyone's all right. And she senses the Silver Surfer, runs right past Ben into the Silver Surfer to like touch his face and see if he's okay. And Ben's like, oh, she doesn't even know that I'm here. She must like him more because he's all shiny and she can see a reflection in his, in his forehead. And so he walks away. The other three Fantastic Four members must have just like left them all on the roof because they're not here either. And then Leisha's like, I've got to introduce you to everybody, including Ben. Ben was right here. Where is he, Ben? And Silver Surfer's like, I don't know where this Ben is, but I'm going to hop on my Silver Surfboard and fly away. And Leisha's like, um, I'm on the roof all by myself, y'all. <laughs> so, uh. And then falls down the stairs and dies. Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's, that's cool. Um, so then the news about Galactus goes out. Some, uh, the Daily Bugle, of course, calls Galactus a hoax because, mm. you know, why not? Mm-hmm. Some random dude with a forehead reads about the Fantastic Four in prison. He's like, only I have the power to smash Fantastic Four, but I'm not going to do that this issue. I'm just going to tease for later stories. And then um, we go to Metro College, where Whitey Mullins is late to practice. Is he late to practice? No, he's like he didn't show off. up at all. He didn't show up at all to practice. The coach is like, where's Whitey? And the other guy's like, um, he didn't show up to practice, y'all. It's like, I'm going to go call his dad. Get him kicked off the team if he doesn't want to bother to come to practice. Um, and he finds Whitey flirting with some girls. And Whitey's like, you can't kick me off the team. You're a has-been. If you kick me off the team, you're going to be in trouble. You're a washed-up coach. I do all the work around here. And he runs off all full of himself. And coach is like, aw, I actually am a washed-up coach. Hi, wife. I'm very sad and full of self-pity. So meanwhile, back at the Baxter building, Reed is watching some home movies about some electrics. Um, and while he's working on his doodads, Susan shows up and tries to talk to him. He ignores her. An explosion happens and she throws up a force field. And he's like, oh my gosh, Susan, what are you doing sneaking up on me? You could have been hurt. And she's like, I'm just trying to talk to you because we're married, remember? And she storms off in a fit of... Um, being, you know, neglected by her life partner. Um, the thing is walking down the street, talks to a woman, says, hey, how you doing? She's like, oh my gosh, you're the thing. And she runs off. Johnny goes to an, uh, visit Metro College. Uh, it's his first day. He's trying to find his way around school. He runs into a new character by the name of Wyatt Wingfoot. They both get called into the dean's office to talk about how cool it is being at school. Please do your best. Meanwhile, the Inhumans are all sad that Johnny's not around. And Chris was like, where is Johnny? Why are we trapped in this dome forever? Remember that we exist because we're going to come back to this subplot soon. And um, 
Johnny didn't listen to the entire one single thing the dean said. He and Wyatt go out to be friends, and next issue, a new thing joins the FF. Wow. Well, that was some number 50, huh? A lot happened, but not a lot happened with Galactus. It just ended. So, first of all, as a fanboy, love this story, love Galactus, love the whole Kirby, the whole Marvel, the milestone. It's amazing. But critically, (laughs) on this show, yes, you're right. They don't write for the trades, for one thing, apparently. And two... It does kind of feel like an abrupt ending. And three, if you think about it, the FF did nothing on either story, really. Like, they're not the reason Galactus was defeated at all. No, Watcher just tells him to be more chill. Watcher's just like, be more chill. You go over here and grab this thing you guys had no idea about and could not possibly do without me. So basically, I'm doing it. And then it's the end. So yeah, in that sense, it's actually maybe not a great story, but I still love it anyway because I'm brainwashed maybe. I don't know. Well, it's just it's it's a weird issue because the Galactus story is a two issue story spread across three. You get right, half or maybe an issue. just a one issue story almost. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it probably could be compacted, but um, you get half of forty eight, all of forty nine, and half of fifty. That's right. two issues of pages. Right. And I would say, I guess forty nine is the best of the three. Just yeah. because of it's the coming of Galactus and there's so much epic buildup. Uh, or no, that was 48, huh? 48 was the buildup. 49 was a lot yeah. of really awesome moving in circles. Right, the showing plot off how powerful Galactus was. Right. The plot doesn't really progress in, 50, in, in 49, except Johnny goes after the weapon and Silver Surfer gets a conscience. Yes. And even that. It's a weird story. It is kind of, but it's also really enjoyable and full of big ideas. Yes, and for the time, it's like this is one of the biggest things Marvel has ever done. It's funny because I always keep going back to Marvels when I read this, and like Marvels told us three parter in like four pages, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just as effectively in a way. You know, you just find the the, the four four pages where the imagery you have to repeat, and there it is. But uh, yeah. I don't know. I think it's just oddly paced, but it was pretty good. And once again, the heroes do nothing. But that's okay. I'll give them a pass, I guess. So the Watcher is looking at Reed with the ultimate nullifier. And he doesn't actually start. He's like, stop. You must never turn the control lever to full power. It can erase the entire solar system for one microsecond. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me of, you tell me if you recognize this quote. Okay. You see this button? Don't touch it. That's the history eraser button, you fool. No. That's Ren and Stimpy. Okay. And um, yeah, it's exactly what it reminded me of. He's like, don't touch that button. Watcher is always telling Reed not to touch the button. Well, he shouldn't make so many things with buttons on them. Um, So we were like talking before about how does Silver Surfer in this story reconcile with the origin of Silver Surfer that we know and stuff like Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. And I'm still not sure. And it's actually even more confusing now because I'm not sure if he's even – I guess he's created by Galactus because Galactus at some point says, have you forgotten? I am the power. I am Galactus. But does he mean like he's the source of Silver Surfer's power or does he just mean he's the power because he's Galactus? Because then Silver Surfer says, but I too am a creature of the cosmos. So see, at this point when they're writing Silver Surfer, do they think of him as an independent person who just latched his wheel onto Galactus's wagon or is he created by Galactus? 
I don't think he's created by Galactus. I think he's empowered by Galactus. That's what I mean. Like he was normal um, rad. He was just a normal dude. But I, I'm not even sure if if this is fully reconcilable with that. Mm-hmm. The, the idea that he's a cosmic entity, that he exists in space surfing on his surfboard and for some reason is working for Galactus right now, maybe because he owes him something or whatever. I feel yeah. like that's all we get from this. Um, the I most do this too. is Yeah. Um, it's... It's weird, but Galactus is like super affectionate to him. I regret what I must do. I For like of that, all though. who live. I have cherished you the most. I and like it's just that. Like, oh, I like that. You know, I mean, he is a bad guy in the sense that he wants to eat us all. But like we said before, he's not really a bad guy. He's just a lion, and he wants to eat some deer, and we just happen to be deer. So, right. I don't mind that he thinks. You know, he doesn't have a lot of friends. Probably, who does he hang out with? Silver Surfer. That's like the only guy he talks to. Probably. On a regular basis. But so, along the lines of what you were saying a second ago, Watcher does kind of suggest that Galactus either started out as a mortal or at least is descended from mortals. Oh, does he? Where did that happen? On page nine, consider the courage they display. Though they're still in their infancy, you must not disdain them. Didn't your race and mine evolve oh. from such humble beginnings? See, I don't know, know Galactus's origins. I know he has some at some point. I've read it, but I don't know it. Yeah, if that makes sense. It didn't right. stick in my head. Right, I've I vaguely remember some things, but he's been around since like the creation of the universe, I think, or pretty close to it. But I don't know. He's like a thing that needs to exist. Some for some reason, he balances but, things. But Watchers all, you know full well you don't have to eat people. Just go eat some other planet. See, I don't know if that I buy that, but I don't know if I don't buy that either. Does Galactus just simply not care because we're ants to him? I mean, we, I had an out- outbreak in my kitchen last week, and I just had to kill them. I'm sorry. I couldn't scoop each individual one up and take them outside as much as I wanted to. So they're all dead now, and I massacred them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're ants. They're so ants. Do we care? Does Galactus care? Or can he be a vegetarian and only go to, like, you know, um, um, Genesis, newly formed Genesis, and eat that and be fine? Well, see, okay, here's a random thought. He says... I grow weary. The prize is not worth the battle. And that's probably just a metaphor, but what if that's it? What if he thought eating a living world would be super tasty and he really wanted to try this? He's Ah. just like, he's Beerus the Destroyer now and he's not going to get to eat his tasty planet. I don't know. Because I feel like those flashback planets that he ate before had cars and stuff on them. So maybe he's got a certain taste though. You're right. Maybe he has a craving. Craving for Pizza Planet. Maybe there's not a lot of planets um, that, that fit what he needs to do. I don't know. He revoked uh, or removed Surfer's space-time powers is the wording uh-huh. they use here. This is going to get altered to mean that he Silver Surfer can't leave the planet. Right. He, he can use basically everything he was able to do before, but there's like an invisible bubble around our world that he can't go through. Which suggests that maybe he is the source of Silver Surfer's power, or it also could just mean that Galactus has a lot of cool powers and he can do things to people. Either way. Either way. Um, ben is sad again, yes. which I'm fine with. I like that note sometimes with Ben. Uh, like apparently he's quitting, or at least for a little while. Either quitting or just going out to be alone. Mm-hmm. He he has not learned how to cope with emotions. <laughs> Maybe he and, didn't have much experience well, with romance before becoming the thing. I don't know. I mean, he has a pretty scarred, scarring experience with this whole turning into the thing thing, so... You, yeah. He probably needs counseling or something, and nobody suggests that in 1960-whatever. Because it's, uh, it's unmanly, isn't it? 
Right. I mean, if this was the 80s and TNG, then he'd have a counselor at his side at all times, probably. But uh, Instead, he gets to be just a walking ball of social anxiety. But speaking of not being able to handle feelings, I mean, the world almost dies. The world almost comes to an end. They've come closer to being dead than ever before. And he just goes to his experimental room and experiments. He doesn't, yeah. like, hug his wife and say, God, I love you. I'm so glad we're still alive. Let's go try and make a baby. Yeah, we need to practice on the whole baby thing. Yeah. yeah this is this is definitely a problem. Read yeah. it. It, we, it implies the passage of time because we get all those other scenes. That's true. So this could just be, like, the next week or something. But still, mm-hmm. on no day... Should Reed be so wrapped up in everything that whenever somebody walks in the room and starts talking to him, he doesn't even bother to hear? Especially when he's working on something that apparently blasts a laser that could obliterate you. Right. And he's not looking around to see if anybody's standing there before he hits press the button. I'm interested where this football thing's going. It was kind of crazy to like go so deep into this coach and his horrible, like useless life now. He used to be somebody. And it's like, who are you? Why do I care about this? This is random. And there's also the setup of this big, bald Lex Luthor buff guy, which is interesting. Um, and I was really surprised about Wyatt Wingfoot, because I don't know why, but I didn't know he first appeared in this. And see, I thought he was I an X-Men guy. Wyatt Wingfoot's an X-Men guy? Oh, this is the She-Hulk dude, huh? I think so. Who am I thinking of? I'm thinking of, uh, who's that Native American X-Men dude? That's not Wyatt Wingfoot. No, uh, they, were, they were the two brothers, the one that died, the other one that became right. X-Force. That's what I was thinking of. I don't know why. And it's not Thunderball. It's Thunderbird? Yeah. No. That sounds odd. But anyway, Wyatt Wingfoot. Yeah, that's She-Hulk's longtime boyfriend. Or at least for okay. a while boyfriend. So I he's only not a- know him from this era. Like I've seen like a random panel or two of him from later stuff, but I've only read him here. Okay. So he's not even a power person. He's just a big guy. He's just a big guy who's a friend of people. Yeah. This... This business where Johnny like spaces out because he's literally was just in space and now his brain can't stop thinking about how expansive space is. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this going to be a thing? Like, did the watcher break Johnny or is this just a one off that they'll never address again? I think it's just their way of briefly addressing the fact that this did have emotional ramifications mm-hmm. before they ever, before they stopped giving it any emotional ramifications. Because I kind of like that idea. Like they have the hot rod kid who only cares about cars and girls and they send him to the farthest reaches of space and that like, ruins his take on his regular reality. That's kind of a cool idea. I also kind of like that he went and saw Dory Evans off panel. Yeah. Like, even though she's not in the comic, this was a contact that I had forgotten. He borrows her car and then yes. talks about what happened, sort of. So he's like, he's like, I'm glad I'm still friends with her, but gosh, she's no crystal. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is? Right. I mean, really. <laughs> right. I liked checking in with the Inhumans, but this is a really weird way to end the issue with him just like spacing off on the whole uh-huh. Dean lecture. Like, it was just weird because you would think this kind of a scene would have some sort of ramification. Like, he missed something that the Dean said that would be important. Like, when right. Hawkeye didn't pay attention to how to use the message machine. <laughs> right. Yeah, nothing really happens. I'm guessing that Wyatt Wingfoot was somehow going to be connected to this football thing, but uh, I don't know how that's going to connect to the Fantastic Four, but I guess we'll find out. I feel like the football thing and the Cro-Magnon dude in prison might be connected. Mm. But I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. I I don't either. They didn't say his name. He's just there saying, I can smash the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Anyway, all in all, an okay issue, but also contains like some of the most significant Marvel history stuff ever. So kind of an awesome issue, too. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of not that, 
sort of. Tales of Suspense, number 77. I'm not saying this is bad either. I'm just saying it's not a milestone necessarily, but we'll see. Ultimo Lives. This is part two. Actually, part 28 or something of this really long Happy Hogan thing. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's not bother with a repetitive resume this issue. If the above dialogue doesn't bring you up to date, then hang around and see us after class here. The above dialogue is Mandarin saying, I've created Ultimo, and I dragged you, Tony Stark, here to witness it. And I also knocked your suitcase that has armor in it that I didn't know about out the window. So that's where we're at. Homerically written by Stan Lee, heroically penciled by Adam Austin, historically inked by Gary Michaels, and hysterically lettered by Sam Rosen. So basically the Mandarin talks about Ultimo. Ultimo was created inside a mountain, a volcano, Mm -hmm. a dead volcano. And he used his science and his magic, Dr. Doom style, to create this giant robot. And then he fed it full of Frankenstein energy to the point where it like actually might be even too powerful for him to control. So he ran away. Um, And Ultimo, um, 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 what happens? Oh, his uh, castle is once again attacked by red troops. He fends them off. He then shoots uh, Tony Stark in the chest. Tony falls down the stairs, seemingly dead. But of course he's not dead because he the one piece of armor he is he does have is his chest plate because he always has his chest plate. Put a big old dent in it, though, but he lives. Um, he jumps out the window into the moat to look for his suitcase. Ultimo... Meanwhile, oh, that's right. Ultimo is sent to attack the troops that are invading Mandarin's castle. Ultimo is giant. He's like this big Dr. Manhattan, but kind of looks like that robot dude from Doom Patrol 2. And he's bulletproof, and he can shoot lasers out of his eyes, and he's picking up big pieces of land with people on them, speaking of ants, and just tossing them around. Meanwhile, Tony Stark apparently found his suitcase because Iron Man arrives on the scene and tries to fight Ultimo. But basically just spends the entire time trying to avoid his Superman heat lasers because they're really powerful. Um, And Ultimo grabs him and is about to smash him. And meanwhile, Senator Bird is like, "Uh, uh, that Tony Stark escaped from my car. And so I'm going to show him that no man is above the law. And until further notice, all Stark industries are closed. Dun, dun, dun. The end. Right? Was that the end? Yeah, that's the end. That was the end. It ends. Um, so Iron Man's about to die and Tony Stark has no money or will have no money and no life. So I hadn't noticed Gary Michaels was a name that we've actually had as an inker for the last several issues of this series. Um, Hmm. he is Jack Abel. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's pseudonyming it because he is also doing a whole bunch of war comics over at DC right now. Ooh. So he's doing Iron Man inking in between, um, war comics for DC. Um, he, goes on to be a pretty frequent Superman artist oh. both in the late 60s and the late 70s. And what do you think of him as a Superman? He's all right. He's he's. I wouldn't say his style stands out in my mind. Um, he mostly does inking, though. And, and I, I have a hard time distinguishing inkers unless they're like really, really stand out. He's no Adam um, Austin, is what you're you saying. You say he's no Adam Austin. Yeah, he's no Adam Austin. Yeah, right. This, Which is, this uh, of is course, crazy Colin. Yes. Um. And he continues to make this Colin continues to make this series look a freaking amazing. Yes, it does look amazing. I think happily, I happily. Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Happily, he backs off on some of his less awesome oh. depictions of the Mandarin. He did, 
and I'll say that like as much as I ho hummed about Ultimo last issue because it was kind of like this tack on thing, I gotta say it was kind of cool in this story. Yeah, I, I feel like um, we came in to this origin story right at the end of last issue. Like all of the stuff that uh, that Mandarin is talking about, this literally just happened. Uh huh. Yeah. And he actively activated Ultimo, and then it's like I want to go get Tony Stark now. I'm still not sure how this vibes with his overall Mandarin theme, but. That's cool. He looks interesting and he's like scary because he could take out whole armies and Iron Man can't really do anything about him. So, And he's a robot, so theoretically, hopefully Iron Man could come up with some sort of tech solution to stop him. Next why issue. Is, why does he need to be a combination of mysticism and science? He's just a giant android. He is. Also, why does he have to have junk and then need to wear a, like uh, whatever you call that? Loincloth? A loincloth to cover it. Why that is we, an interesting why question. Why did we need to do that? I'm assuming there's no actual junk in there. I'm assuming it's just for looks. <laughs> it's like, you know what? Let me sew this really giant loincloth real fast. Okay. Because <laughs> he so, looks weird. Tangent. Uh-huh. I watch a lot of Japanese superheroes. Mm-hmm. And Japanese superheroes on TV wear spandex, like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone who watched Power Rangers in the 90s knows the story about how the Japanese Yellow Ranger was a boy. And right. the... Pink Ranger was a girl. Um, well, I found out that when they're in their costumes mm-hmm. in Japan, the stunt actors are, in that era, always male. They oh. eventually started getting female stunt actors. So the skirt that Pink Ranger is wearing is not for girls' modesty. It's for boys' modesty. Right. So that you don't notice that she is definitely not a girl whenever they're <laughs> fighting. And I was watching an episode of Common Rider today, and the bad guy in the issue, the bad guy in the episode was Bee Woman. And I'm pretty sure, not a hundred percent, because most of her face is covered in bee stuff, but I'm pretty sure that it's a female actor for most of the time. But they were fighting, and in the wide shots of them fighting, Bee Woman was definitely a dude. Like the spandex left nothing to the imagination. There was definitely some dude protrusion, and it's just weird. I'm just going to go with the idea that this android does not have junk. He's just got the loincloth. Or the Mandarin wants us all to think he's a woman, but he's really a man, is what your point is, I think. That could also be my point, <laughs> but this person is topless. But then, you know, <laughs> biology does not dictate gender, so uh, whatever Ultima wants to be. Right. Uh, um, why did we capture Tony Stark? I had that same question, and I think somewhere he maybe kind of answers it. For when the mighty Golden Avenger learns of your fate and comes to gain retribution, he too shall be defeated with equal ease. So basically he's taking him because he couldn't find Iron Man. Yeah, he tried to get Iron Man, got Stark instead, and now he's just going to kill Tony to make Iron Man mad. Right. And then Iron Man will show up. All right. I I can buy that. Yeah, I guess that works. I like that. You know, the chest plate saved him, but also there's a big honking dent in it. That was kind of cool. Although that dent seems to be gone once he becomes Iron Man, so that's weird. I don't think they always realize that the chest plate he wears as Tony is the chest plate he wears as Iron Man. It seems like it doesn't because you notice how, like, on page six when he's investigating the dent, there's not that repulsor ray circle thing there. Right. So that's weird. I never noticed that. I I even, like, temporarily forgot it for a second, too. I was like, at first... It was like, it seems to me that you don't want your heart support to work as armor. Mm-hmm. 
because he worries like I've got this dent in my heart support plate. But then I was like, oh wait a second, that's basically the whole point of Iron Man. It's that his heart, his heart, heart support is his armored weapon. So never mind. Maybe he has like multiple layers on that chestal area, and like when he puts his armor on, another layer goes over top or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Maybe it was just bad art. Yeah, because yeah, because the attaché case only works because it's just all the flexible armor parts. Mm-hmm. His chest casing is always, I don't know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, page nine, Ultimo is standing over all those little guys. And I just want one of them, the guy who's saying keep firing with his hand in the air, I want him to be saying, we need dinosaur power now. <laughs> I'm on a ranger's kick today, I'm sorry. Do you, well, hey, maybe they were too. Maybe they were just thinking, oh, that's an Asian villain, so he has to have a giant robot. Oh, shoot. Because that was a thing in the 60s, too, right? Uh, it was just starting to be a thing. Ultraman started in the 60s, in 1966. It's, it's going to start later this year. But um, Godzilla. Godzilla was definitely a thing. It's like those yeah. Asian guys like giant things. So let's, make the, let's have the Mandarin make a giant thing, which there, now that's part of his theme, I guess. His the racist thing, thing is that, that that often goes with Japanese movies, and this is China, so it doesn't quite oh, work. But I can see how Stanley wouldn't make that distinction. Of course not, because the whole thing's racist. Anyway, or not. I'm still trying um, to figure out the Mandarin. I don't get it. Rings and a giant robot. Okay. Yeah, and delusions of grandeur. Mm-hmm. So all Tony needs now is for Senator Byrd to shut down all of his plants. So does Senator Byrd think that his car got zapped and Tony disappeared and it was Tony's doing? Like he was there. Does he not know that something weird just happened? He's like, that Tony got away and he didn't report for Congress like or the Senate like I wanted. It's like, yeah, he was in the car with you and it got zapped by that crazy light, remember? And then when you turned around, everybody was gone. Remember that part? What happened? I would be willing to buy that Byrd has had it up to here. Mm-hmm. And that the one time he finally gets Stark in his hands, Stark manages to disappear in a flash of movie magic. Mm-hmm. And the idea that it's not Stark's doing, maybe in the back of his head, but also he's like, you know what? That's just the last straw. And yeah. I've already had the last straw. This is just another last straw. And I'd be cool with that too, because Tony invents technology that just makes cities disappear and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, it'd be nice if there was a line of dialogue instead of, we gave him every chance to appear. It was more like he used some crazy tech to escape our clutches or something, you know? I don't know. Just so we're aware that Senator Byrd is observant. Has eyes. Yeah. But otherwise, that's just a little nitpick, I guess. They could have addressed the fact that Tony just disappeared right in front of him. Well, that last panel's pretty great. It looks like Ultimo is going to smash Tony into the ground. Mm-hmm. It was a nice run. So much for Iron Man. On to Captain America. Yay! If a hostage should die, at last, Mighty Marvel reveals for the first time the never told before, the never told before, the never before told, right? Saga of the girl from Cap's past. Script, Stan Lee. Layouts, Jack Kirby. Don't they mean designer? Penciling, John Romita. Inking, Frank Ray. Lettering, Sam Rosen. Kibitzing, Irving Forbush. Hey, Irving again. Captain America, and by Captain America, I mean Steve Rogers, is watching TV and they're airing some sort of documentary or something about the liberation of France. And he was there apparently as Captain America, because that's what's on the TV is them showing Cap like going to town on Nazis, you know? Uh, But Steve and everybody's like, yay, he liberated France or helped us liberate France with the French resistance and all that stuff. 
I'm going to try really hard not to say the French Revolution again, but I really wanted to just there. Um, but Steve is like cap sad uh, watching this because he remembers it differently, and he holds up a picture of this mysterious woman that he hasn't seen for 20 years, and he's like, she's probably not still alive because if she was still alive, of course she would have sought me out because that's the kind of ego I have. And then he opens up the balcony of wherever it is he's living, and there's like lightning and the lightning and the thunder make him flash back to the days or to that that time where uh, the lightning and thunder turn into the, like the sound of the machine guns and stuff. Uh, and it cuts to Cap pole vaulting into this uh, the thick of the German army and like kind of breaking them up and helping the French resistance get another leg in. Um, and that's when I don't know they don't actually say her name, do they? Nope. Okay, so this mysterious person who is Peggy Carter um, runs or is rush, she Clea? rushes up to him and says, "Oh my love, oh my darling." He says, "Oh my love, oh my darling," and she's like, "I have to go with the resistance and keep doing this thing." And he's like, "But, but you're a woman. You probably shouldn't, right?" And she's like, "Well, probably, but I'm just going to keep doing it anyway." But I love you. Oh, I love you too. I don't know your name. I don't know your name either, but I still love you. And then. Um, uh, 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 this motorcycle guy comes up and says, Cap, they need you over here in such and such a place. And he's like, okay, I guess I have to go, but I will be back as fast as I can to help you and the resistance. And until then, I love you. I love you too. And uh, um, she gets caught and they try and torture her. I don't know. They don't really torture her because it's the 60s, but it's basically infer- or implied that they're torturing her. But she's awesome and she says, go ahead and just shoot me. I'm never going to tell you nothing. So she gets lined up with a bunch of other resistance guys, and they're just about to kill her when there's an attack. And uh, 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 I don't know. The resistance show up, basically, and kind of rescue her and stuff like that. Meanwhile, Cap does his uh, mission real fast. And it's in then the same location. He's part of that. It's attack. the same location, but he's like, or he's trying to make it back, basically. And he hijacks a car, and he finally gets there. And it cuts to the scene, basically, where he was watching himself on TV, where he's like just going crazy on these Nazis, like, "Where's the girl? Where's the girl?" And like everybody's like trying to congratulate Cat for free in the city, and he's just like, "No, I just want to find this girl." And they're like, "Oh, you know, actually, um, there was an explosion, and I'm pretty sure." Uh, she didn't make it or all those people didn't make it. And he's just like, ah. So he's basically cap sad while he's riding the shoulders of all the celebrating people because France has been liberated and he gets carried away. But little does he realize that in the background is that mysterious girl and she's just like shell-shocked and can't remember what happened. So she kind of just walks away in a fog and then it cuts back to the present and the weather has cleared and Cap is still kind of staring out through the window and still wondering what became of her. Next issue, Captain America meets Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., even though he already has. Yes. Yes. He has and he hasn't. Actually, wow, he has and he hasn't. I just thought of that right now. Because they never really met Met. They met, but he never knew it was Steve Rogers. Yeah, he didn't know it was Steve. Cap has met Nick Fury. Cap has met Nick Nick Fury. Fury has not met Steve. Right. At least not that we know of. Not that we know of. Um, Okay, the first scene at the beginning Uh feels like the feelings from when Steve found the Captain America Museum in the movies. Yeah, I liked it because it's like they're trying to just show like Cap, you know, helping free France. But he's he has a way different memory of like having a really bad day that day. Yeah, I just I, I, I love the idea of him like thumbing through the TV guide. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, wait a second. Wednesday night, there's a Captain America documentary. Yeah. Huh. 
that might be cool to watch. <laughs> right. And so he turns of, it on. Speaking of cinematic, though, I really do like on page three how they turned the lightning and thunder into machine gun fire. I just thought that yeah. was super cool story. That was really well done. Really story. well done. Very cinematic. You could actually see that play out in a movie or something. Now, I was trying to remember, and I didn't go back and look at Avengers 4. Um, have they said that it was 1944 whenever everything went down with him and Bucky and Zemo? Ooh. You know what? I don't know either. Because I'm starting to think they haven't. I'm starting to think that this initial concept is that Steve Rogers, Captain America, fought until the end of the war. We've talked about how his timeline gets retconned to involve other Caps, but I don't think that that was necessarily necessary. Um, well, the thing with Zemo and falling into the water almost seems like after the war with Germany was over. But it certainly wasn't the 50s, and they've had 50s Cap at this point in the 50s. Well, yeah. So it's still a retcon. It's still he ignored that, right? Yeah. So the fifties cap is there, but like the idea that there are multiple Captain Americas in World War II. Right. I'm 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 desperately trying to like find. Oh, you know what? Do they even flash back to it at all in Avengers Four? Yeah, because you see Zemo as a shadowy figure. And you get the whole <sighs> Bucky Bucky look out. Yeah, Bucky Bucky look out, but he doesn't talk about how they got frozen, does it? Gosh. In Avengers Four, yeah. I'm really trying to find it, but I don't see it. I don't know if it says 1944 in that scene. I know that's what it's eventually going to be solidified as. I honestly don't think this scene is in there. Oh, you know what? It is, too. I'm so sorry. Guess what's happening? This thing is not ordering my pages correctly. Okay, here we go. Here it is. Slowly, almost blah, blah, blah. It seems like only yesterday. It was more than 20 years ago that my teenage pal Bucky and I, whilst acting as security guards at the ETO Army base, tried to stop an explosion filled drone plane from taking to the air. No date. They are in army outfits, so it's still theoretically World War II, at least. Yeah, if it's, if it's the ETO army base, then the war with Germany is still going. So you're right. It doesn't mean that there has to be multiple caps in the war, although it does screw up the 50s cap, but it doesn't say what year this takes it, place. It seems like tearing down the Gestapo in this issue and that scene right there by itself still would not be quite super compatible, but... Yeah. So, know, when, so e- when did this happen? I, I would have to. Okay. So the timeline of World War II is we end our war with Germany, and then we're still at war with Japan for several months. And it's during that time that uh, President um, Roosevelt, uh-huh. that's right, President Roosevelt dies. Truman takes over, and Truman's the one who actually drops the bomb on Japan. So what we're saying here is. This is Steve Rogers in August of 1944, right? Uh, what is Steve Rogers in August of 44? This story, because it's liberating France. Isn't that when France... Wait. No, I thought they were tearing down... Oh, I guess it was... Is this the French liberation? I thought it was Paris, right? Isn't that the beginning of the story? It says... Uh, okay, you know what? You know what? There's, there's a problem lot, with uh, my brain. Because uh-huh. I thought this was like the very end of the war, tearing down it the is. final Nazi... That's the thing. The first Allied combat troops to enter Paris during the liberation of France can never forget the inspiring blah, 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 which happened in August of 1944. The war ends September of 1945. Ah, so we got a whole year of alternate Captain Americas okay. so to yes, fill the this, world. The 1944 thing can still line up with this then. Okay, so never mind. That was a big old random tangent for no reason. No, but it's hey, good. It's good show. because it's interesting to find figure out, like, I've never thought about this, like how many years of no cap or no Steve Rogers cap was there? 
just apparently a year. A year. Or less than a year, yeah. And they went through two caps. And he was still he was still active after World War II ended. At least Captain America comics continued to be published until 1950. No, no, I'm talking about the retcon now. Yeah, I understand, but the retcon was to cover the fact that there were still Captain America comics after he went in the water. Right. Oh, wait a second. So Steve Rogers could have finished World War II, at least for the most part, and then the other caps are after World War II. I think he could have, but I don't think he did. No, I think it was 1944 that he goes in the water, so he missed the last you know six months to a year. We need to read but, um, the Marvel Project, and we need to read that Patriot miniseries, and then they'll give us dates or something. <laughs> but that's interesting. But yeah. Anyways, sorry about the tangent, but yeah... Um, we'll get this the all time figured out. With Cap. We will eventually. <laughs> Who's to say uh, this memory is even correct? By the way, <laughs> although they do have it documented on TV, at least, so that's something. So one thing about Captain America, mm-hmm. he's misogynist. Yes. And it's, well, okay, okay. <sighs> yes, I won't forget them either. But you've got to leave the partisans. This isn't women's work. That's a bad thing to say. But then but he it's also, also says, very 1940s thing to then say. he also says, I know I haven't the right to speak to you this way. Now, does he mean as a male or does he mean as not your husband? Mm. So he kind of like backs off on it pretty quickly as soon as she like pushes back on it. But either way, like, I, I don't know. You know, what's funny is there's this person, I think it's called like, let's talk Steve Rogers or something like that. Who's very passionate about Captain America and recently just posted like all these reasons why Cap is totally a feminist and they were all great reasons. But then there's always these kind of panels, too, which don't well, yeah, and, gel with that. And again, this is the 1940s. The, the, it's the he, 1940s he was, being written in 1960s. So either way, he, he's screwed. he's going to be this way into the 70s, but he Easily. eventually gets over it. He eventually gets over it. But yes, it's tough sometimes. He's definitely He and Sharon are definitely going to have that whole, like, uh, oh, my God, Cap, why are you saying these things dialogues? Mm-hmm. But... I thought it was really funny that he's been working with this woman for weeks and they have become romantic and he has never taken his mask off with her. I do find that odd. That goes back to you and I wondering why he has a secret identity at all. Why can't he take his mask off and tell her his name is freaking Steve? Like, what does that do? I don't know. I don't Nothing. know. Nothing. They're in France. So it's not like he's going to get secretly attacked at Camp Lahai or whatever. You know, they're not even there unless, she, unless he's worried she's a spy or something. But even then... I don't get the point. At this point, he's full on fighting in Europe. So does it really matter that he has a American identity as a private somewhere? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't get it. But what's funny is her name is never revealed either. So maybe he doesn't know it also. I don't know. Well, we don't have either of their names. We don't have Sharon's name. We don't have Peggy's name. Have we, we haven't even heard that she's Agent 13 yet. Nope. She was just a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Yeah. What is it with, what is it with unidentified <laughs> women in these comics? <laughs> I don't know. But you know what's interesting about Peggy is we get more awesome from her than we do most of the women that we read. Yeah. Just these page six and seven is pretty great. Actually, five, six, and seven, four, five, six, and seven, where she basically tells Cap, she doesn't tell him to stuff it, but she's like, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go keep fighting. Then she gets captured and doesn't give up anything. Then she's willing to die. That's all pretty awesome. And she even knows how to like play a man a little bit. Mm-hmm. She says, you mustn't try to stop me. We both have to follow orders. The underground is well armed and organized. They'll protect me. Mm-hmm. She doesn't need protection. No. But she knows how to say but the she, things that Cap needs to hear. Because he's worried. Right. I, I, I just, 
as I was reading that, I was thinking that that's probably something that a skill that many women mm-hmm. have learned how to use since they're all living inside this patriarchy. Mm-hmm. But anyways, and once again, we have some real, like you said, it's been a week or two. They got some real fast um, loving going on, but mm-hmm. he also felt that way about Sharon, who he doesn't know at all. And you got to figure in World War II, there probably weren't a lot of women coming around. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't be too picky, I guess. I don't know. Um, I don't have a whole lot else until the end. Okay, go ahead. Peggy walks off with amnesia. And we started yeah. the story with Captain America wondering why she hasn't contacted him. Yeah. And I don't know if the implication was meant, but it seems to be implying that she hasn't contacted Cap because she has amnesia. However, we know that she has told Sharon stories by Captain America. Right. I couldn't and remember. I couldn't remember. I was hoping it was just shell shock. She, she told stories about Captain America and Sharon was able to recognize, did she see Steve or did she see Cap? She saw Steve and she's like, this dude kind of reminds me of those Cap stories. Even the Peggy never saw him without his mask. Right. There's only one Captain America chin though. Um, um, yeah. I don't believe that. I mean, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here and guess that the whole memory thing isn't a thing, but I don't remember. So maybe my memory is amnesia too, but amnesic. Well, she hasn't contacted Cap because she's in a home right now. There's so many reasons why she wouldn't or couldn't or didn't contact Cap. I love how he's just sitting there going, she would have contacted me if she was alive. Nothing would have stopped her. It's like, okay, you guys knew each other two weeks in the war. That was 20 years ago. Maybe she's got a new family. Oh, yeah. For instance, or she's just you know, battling cancer and she's got three weeks to live and didn't feel like ringing you up or she can't figure out how to call an Avenger. Like, I don't know. There could be a million reasons why. Or she got over it. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Not for um, him, but for her. Not for him. Cause for him, it's been like, you know, last month. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, we're going to, it's going to be a long time before we actually see Peggy Carter in stories, but this is sort of the set up the background for Sharon, which we'll begin to explore more. I think next issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny Peggy becomes like the MCU girl, but that's okay. That's cool. I like and, it. And not only is Peggy not French in these stories, but she's also not British. Nope. Which also bothers me. Why'd they make her British? I wonder. Oh, because the um, actress is British. Well, the actress is British, but all of America's efforts in the war were based out of England. Yeah. So to have a liaison in the military in England makes a lot of sense. And she doesn't have to do an accent. Right. Anyway, it was a cool story. I liked it. I like it too. Um, I, when I'm reading this run, I feel like the story should come earlier than it does. Mm-hmm. Like there have been a couple of times we've been reading that I feel like we, we had already had this story because I just keep forgetting it takes a little while to get to it. Mm-hmm. But now it's here. We, we know some woman who has no name that Cap knew back in the war. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to know this other woman who has no name who's the sister of that woman. Maybe. They haven't actually said that explicitly yet. We're creating a world for him, so it's fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, those are our four comics. Those are it. Okay, so... Not bad, not bad. Let's see what we're going to be talking about next episode for all those out there in listener wrap land. Up, wrap up the month. Amazing Spider-Man 36 and The Avengers 27 will wrap up our month. And then we're going to move on to The X-Men 20. And Daredevil 16, which also has Spider-Man. So double duty oh, on Spider-Man next month. Next episode. Fun. Yes. Well, that's the second time he's been in Daredevil. 
Or no, Daredevil was in Spider-Man. That's right, Daredevil was in Spider-Man. Now he's going to be in Daredevil. Yeah. Fair. So that's fair is fair. next week. And since it's all of you, if you know your Spidey history, then you know that that Daredevil Spider-Man team up is like a big old flashing light for the end of the Ditko run. So Uh-oh. we are almost there, kids. Wow. And Only, then Ramita. Uh, and then Ramita. But does that mean he leaves Tales of Suspense? Because I'm really enjoying him on that. Um, oh, well, but he probably will. I don't know. He probably will. All right. So where can they find us? They can find us at makearsmarvel.com. Uh, that's where you're going to find the links to all, all the ways to subscribe to the show. Or you could type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast playing app. On the website, there's also links to our social media for Facebook and Twitter. And lastly, there's a handy contact form if you want to write us a letter. Or you could just write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can also follow me and Mike on Twitter. I am at John Reads Comics. Mike is at Kaiser the Great. I have other things I do on um, podcasting circles and Twitter lands. Um, I have my Image Comics podcast, All the Pouches, that is on Twitter, at All the Pouches. I have my Transformers podcast called Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, which is at TFUK podcast. And I have a... uh, a fun little Twitter I started recently called at Logan says Chuck, which is just going to be capturing all the times that Wolverine calls Xavier, Charlie or Chuck um, because, you know, Xavier hates it. Yeah. And that is it. I think. Anything That's else? it. Nope. So until next time or until Peggy Carter gets romantic with dum dum Dugan. Make ours Marvel. marvel.